what we could do if 50% of the world, you know, was able to use their full potential. So I think that part of it is mindset. Part of it is building each other up. So, you know, I wouldn't be where I am in multifamily if men didn't help me get where I am. Are you ready to change your life? Welcome to the Multifamily Investor Ladies Podcast, sponsored by Freedom Capital Investments and Berkwood Capital. Your hosts, Linda Brooks and Lisa Hill, are two dynamic multifamily investor syndicators who combined have more than 400 doors in their portfolio and growing. Join them on their journey as they show you it's never too late to get started in multifamily real estate investing. And they'll show you how to do it successfully as a passive investor. And now, here are your hosts, Linda and Lisa. Hello, everybody. Hello, and welcome to another excellent edition of the Multifamily Investor Ladies Podcast. I'm Lisa Hill, alongside my wonderful, hardworking co-host, Linda Brooks. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Now, if you've been listening to the Mill podcasts for a while now, one thing you've learned from us is that the key element to passive investing is getting educated, obtaining that knowledge that's needed. So when you're going into an investment, you're educated and you really understand what you're getting involved in and finding out about what's involved in investing, especially as it pertains to multifamily apartments. And our guest today is a phenomenal one. She has tons of experience in the multifamily realm. And if you haven't heard of her yet, please allow us to introduce you to the apartment queen. Also, where have you been? Anyway, Kaylee McMahon is based out of Dallas. If you've ever attended or you're ever going to attend a multifamily seminar, you'll most likely see her there. She's a networker, a go-getter, an educator, and the founder of the apartment queen and also SheVest. Her motto is, it's not about how much you earn, it's about how much you keep. Kaylee McMahon, welcome. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are y'all? Good, good. Thanks for joining us on this morning. So we'll jump right in. So you started out wanting to be a dentist, right? And now you are the apartment queen. So how did you land here? And how did you get into multifamily real estate investing? Yeah, so it's kind of a long story, but without going into a week's worth of detail, real estate happened by accident, to tell you the truth. Started in the dental industry, I guess, didn't get into dental school and ended up getting into sales and just not loving it. And it really had to do with you know who you're surrounded by, the company culture of, of where you are. And sometimes that might intersect with a decision that you needed to make at that point in your life anyway. But it kind of taught me that, you know, I feel like I could be a better manager. I could be a better boss. I could be a better role model than kind of who I was working with and realized I had some skills. For example, organizing is one of them that I really enjoy and I wasn't using it kind of at all to do that job. And I was a pretty good hunter. So no one would listen to me at at that job. And so I decided to leave and take a a different turn or pivot and start a concierge business that was focused on organizing people's lives that were wealthy individuals in Dallas. So whether it was organizing their supplies, whether it was organizing their, their budget, vacations, the babysitter, if they had cars that needed to be serviced, I mean, like all the things. I mean, if you have multiple businesses, there's a lot of moving parts. So that was what I enjoyed doing. And then I learned, because I don't have a business degree, oh, to continue doing this, I can't do it alone. I need to have other people involved. I need to scale and have systems advertising people and funds to be able to afford all of that. And so doing what I was doing just wasn't scalable. And a friend of mine brought that up and said, well, why don't you get into real estate? 
make some money selling houses as an agent and then put that into that business. And I thought that was genius. So I got my license and then saw the whole world of real estate investing, which at that point in my life, the only understanding of investing I had was the stock market. And I thought that that was the only way that you could invest. And my adoptive dad did that and he would do it. But then when I wanted to ask questions about it, not explain it. And it was also something that no one else in the family did. So it wasn't talked about in my relationship with money and growing up was really poor. I mean, it was like, no, you don't ask what people do for a living. No, you don't ask how much money they make. No, you don't ask how they make the money. And it's like, well, then how would you figure out later on in life? Like, how the heck do I make money? Like, how does this thing work? You know, so... Anyway, uh, so then seeing that real estate investing was just a whole nother gamut of like everything you can touch and see, you can invest in. You can, not everything, but you know, a lot of things you can make cash flow from them. You can leverage them. You can have tax benefits, which essentially is like a payment because you're reducing your taxes. There's just all these opportunities that I never knew were there. And so I got interested in the investing side, got involved with a group called Propelio, which was a investor funded uh, free education platform. And at that time, they started having me speak on their women's panel where it was all women doing different things, house flipping, notes, RV parks, when did short sales, all different things. And so at the time I was transitioning from agent to broker and flipping a house. So it was kind of documenting my journey of trying it out, you know, trying out the investing world. And then at one of their events, I met somebody who spoke who, if you looked at the syllabus or if you looked at the agenda for the night, it said, that he had flipped, he had over 750 million assets under management and that he had made his investors over a 2000% return over like a four or five year period or something like that. So I'm like, what, what, who is this? That's me in five years. So I wanted to meet that person and they were very kind of shy, humble. And then long story short, that person ended up being someone that introduced me to active people in the industry who ended up becoming mentors. And we all still talk to this day when I need advice or when I'm growing my business, where to turn. So it was kind of an accident to get into real estate. But then I realized, oh, wow, there are people that live a lifestyle where they give back to the community. They understand people. They make great money for their investors. They live a good life and they're good people. I must be in the right industry. So that's kind of how I got started. Great road. I mean, it wasn't an easy road, right? Or has it been an easy road building your company? I ask that because, you know, there's fits and starts and there's ups and downs. We've been talking about that. And as you can see, Linda and I are quite a few years older than you. And our message is it's never too late to start investing. But you're quite a little number of years younger than us, Kaylee. And you've got your eye on the long view, right? The long haul. Yeah. So what's your mantra? What's your mindset in terms of that? So... For example, you know, kind of like what is, if you've ever been familiar with like uh, Gazelle's, the company, their training models, I've read a few of their books and done some of their training. The BHAG is what they call it, the big, hairy, audacious goal. So for me, that's something I'm learning to not identify myself by, whereas like my whole self-worth is dependent on this. But however, you got to have those crazy goals. So for me, creating 1 billion she-vesters, as I call women who invest, that is the North Star. That is the guiding thing that all of the decisions, whether we make like, who do we allow into our investments? What area do we invest in? How do we structure our company? Like all the decisions are kind of around, well, is that getting us closer to that goal or not? You know. So that's really the big, I don't know if that answers the question, the big goal. 
Yeah, it's along what we're talking about, about how you specifically target women investors and accredited investors. So tell our listeners what accredited mean and why women. I guess you just said it. You have a goal of one billion women investors under SheVest, right? Yeah. Well, I actually want to clarify that, Lisa, a little bit. And so I'm able to take more than just accredited investors. I'm actually, I opened a fund and the fund is running a dual side-by-side offering right now. It's not actually open till next week. I'm waiting on one more corrected document or whatever. It's a pain because it's a relearning of everything. It's no longer Regulation D anymore. It's Regulation C. So it's a whole new deal. So now, and we're doing it side-by-side. So as you know, yep. Regulation D, you can have accredited only because we're doing 506C for like, there's a 506B buddy offering. There's a 506C, I call it like commercial because you can run commercials. <laughs> like that's how I, yep. how I say that's it. Good. Uh, but that's no, that's accredited, good. But that's accredited only. So accredited, the definitions actually changed, but really it's like the one, two, three rule where your $1 million net worth minus your primary residence, uh, two, $200,000 for two consecutive years as a single individual. And then same thing, but 300,000 as a couple for two consecutive years. And there's more definitions. Like if you're now a reservation, if you're a trust, if, if you have substantial knowledge, for example, if you have like your series six and series seven, something like that, you have to go, you know, I'm not an attorney, I'm not giving you advice, but go look on the site for the definitions. that's been expanded. So now those that have substantial knowledge of investment, they're actually considered accredited. And so that's included now as of March 15th, another 15 million households in the United States. So that is expanded. Plus uh, accredited people can invest in limited amounts. And then when I'm doing regulation crowdfunding, so it's Reg CF, we can take unaccredited and unsophisticated investors. There's just this very strict criteria of, I couldn't define it off the top of my head, but there's a chart. Basically, it's based on your net worth and based on your income annually. And so they're very strict limits. So like off the top of my head, like someone that makes under $107,000, I think their limit is like 10,000 or maybe 20,000, something like that. Like you couldn't invest a large amount. And the idea is to protect people. So if there is a loss, then it's not going to ruin their life. And then there's other ways to sign affidavits and do stuff. But anyway, so we're able to take a variety of people. And yeah, so that's accredited. And then non-accredited is kind of like everybody else. <laughs> that's awesome. Congratulations awesome. on the diversification, so to speak. Oh, it's Absolutely. so weird because we have to take a balance in order of like this. So if you've invested with us but first, bam, you go in first. If you're accredited, you go in second. If you're, mm-hmm. so it's by accredited relationship, accreditation yep. status, then by the amount you put in, then by how quickly you wire basically, and then everybody else can get in. So actually the crowdfunding, the minimum on that one is a thousand dollars. So you can get into that offering as a thousand dollars, but because we have this order of letting certain people in based on relationship, based on whatever you could get into an offering, but likely like we already have a wait list of people that again, it's just like relationship accreditation status, how quickly can you wire, you know, and then so you can get in for sure. But the idea is to lower the barrier to entry for sure. Nice. And it sounds like that is exactly what you're able to accomplish with this setup. And I don't know if y'all know this, but like the fund is a holding tank for a deal and money or deals and money. And then the fund itself can have multiple offerings. So it can say, okay, we're going to do a reg C and then close it 30 days later. Then we're going to do a reg D and close it 30 days later. You can do multiple offerings and during each offering, depending on which one we're talking about, typically you can have up to a hundred beneficial owners. So a hundred investors essentially. And then there's a way with crowdfunding. I'm sorry, I'm getting into the weeds, but I can just get more people in there. And so we're like, well, how do we do this without this being impossible with those lower amounts? There's a way that we have a lead investor that is in charge of that cap table basically. And that lead investor makes the decisions for those like littler investors where they'll be getting reports, they'll be getting information, they'll be getting the returns, but they won't be able to 
you know, call us all the time, like those that spend 50, 100, 250,000. So, but they can get in on real estate, which is great. That is absolutely great. I actually have two questions. So in light of all of that that you have going on, my first question is why the focus on women investors and these different avenues that offer investors to be able to participate in your deals? What's the number one question that you get from passive investors? And you can take those two questions in any order you choose. God, I'm going to have to think about that second one because it's changed a little bit now that like, now that it's a fund, for example, that I'm getting a different set of questions. So let me think on that one for a second. You know, I really like, kind of like Warren Buffett says, and I really like what he said about in a couple of documentaries, I won the ovarian lottery. I was born at a certain time in, in life where I was white, I was male, I was with a family that was kind of middle class. So I wasn't told I couldn't go run a paper route. I wasn't told I couldn't go, you know, make some money as like an eight, nine year old, you know, but my sisters, however, did not win what I call the ovarian lottery where, you know, they had this certain gendered role that they were supposed to behave in. Basically, they weren't allowed to go out and do the kinds of things I did to get experience earning money because that wasn't appropriate or it wasn't feminine or whatever. So he goes, they were smarter than I am and they're more capable as far as being socially adept. I think they could have had more success than me, but just because I won the ovarian lottery, this is where I got a, a step up, you know? And so he's like, because of that, I believe that we are underutilizing 50% of our global population. And could you imagine what we could do with our poor, with our underprivileged, with our marginalized people, with our just all the people who have just kind of not had the same opportunities, what we could do if 50% of the world, you know, was able to use their full potential. So I think that part of it is mindset. Part of it is, you know, building each other up. So, you know, I wouldn't be where I am in multifamily if men didn't help me get where I am. I mean, it is a very male dominated industry. And so for sure, you know, my first mentor was a man sponsor, I guess I don't say mentor, but yeah, so we got to work together to do this. But I think that women are, they're just barely scratching the surface on our potential. And I think that, you know, globally, we can make a lot of movement. We can have a lot of peace. We can do a lot of things if we're able to focus on the individuals who I think are kind of overlooked most of the time, to tell you the truth. And I look at women as my sisters because I've had some major trauma in my life where I'm disconnected from my family and my sisters. And I just get kind of protective of other women because that's how I'd want to be treated. So when, I mean, other women do it to other women too, but especially when a man's like effing around, you know, I get mad, you know, I'm like, do not put up with that. That's not okay. Like, because I've just been through so much and I don't put up with any abuse anymore. So no one else should. So that's a long answer, but that's, I think why I focus on women. And then the number one question that I get I guess would usually be that accredited question. Like, oh, so you only take accredited investors. I'm like, nah, no, no, no. We take everybody, you know, pretty much there's rules and regulations and which offering you can qualify for and whatever. That's all variable. But yeah, we can pretty much take anyone. Now, one thing Linda and I have always shared with our listeners is that when we, what you just mentioned, this is a team sport. You can't go into something like this alone. Yeah. You've got a pretty fantastic team, a large team, but it's all women. Well, we have a couple of guys, but they're a thousand percent on board with the mission, which is the point, because like that company culture is so key. Even we were looking Mm -hmm. at a CFO recently and I go, I don't know, I got to meet with him. He's not on board to like literally in his weekly, monthly activities, actively speak out to women in his life about, you know, investing and whatever to educate them. Good deal. So has it been an easy role building your company? No, it's still not. Oh my God, every day. And I'll tell you the truth. This last year has been like the, I don't know, looking back, it's hindsight, you know, but 
in the moment when you're in it and close to it, it was the hardest year of my freaking life. And not just because like the brokerage business that I had, you know, we lost all of our like hundred incoming listings, you know, imagine how much income that was just gone because the fund we were working with just pulled everything and, you know, losing so many different aspects of how we were making money because of not having that interaction with people anymore. And, even raising money changed and, but angry people, people that were vengeful, people that, you know, have had struggle also, but instead of going to a therapist and dealing with their own struggle, they took it out on me. So through the last year, I've learned a lot about protecting myself through security threats, protecting myself financially, because I've had money taken from me. I've had two businesses taken from me and I'm not a victim. It's just that I didn't know in the beginning how to set everything up to where They couldn't find information to take it where they couldn't position themselves in a way to make me weak. So I just didn't know. I just like on these deals, I do due diligence like crazy. And then I didn't do my due diligence like crazy on the people. So now I know how to do like deep, deep searches on people and even things that like they haven't been caught for. It's like, I just want to see your behavior pattern and how you treat other people. And like I said, times where people get away with things where it's not like a public record or people haven't sued them yet or, or whatever, but you know, behavior patterns repeat. And so it's so important to do your due diligence. So this last year has been incredibly hard. I've gone through depression. I've gone through all kinds of stuff, but then kind of come back up and said, you know what? I can either take the Y in the road and go, I don't know, left and exit this industry and say, if I forget about it, like it's just too hard or whatever. But I'm like, no, damn it. Like I got here and luckily have some friends that are older in the business that are like, look, like if you want to really be a a big boss biatch in this business, like you got to suck it up. You know, like this stuff is going to keep happening to you. The larger, like imagine you yelling at people, oh, I want to create a billion investors or she investors, you know, like you don't think the target on your back is huge. Hello. You know, and the more money you make, again, that target just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's taught me a lot about protecting myself up front through the process of investing. And then also I've actually created a side company where that is coming from other people, but basically I'm just like the front of it where women have access to all of this data and information on other people to be able to be informed, protect themselves. And it's called Big Sister Security. So I'd go through these things to do something with it and to learn a lesson, but it's been incredibly hard and you're constantly, constantly, constantly working on new things. I'm proud that we're to the point now where there's like four or five like core key people that all are 100% in alignment with the mission, the vision values, what we're doing. They want to grow. We're talking about, you know, structuring the, like our partnership together. And anyway, so point is, is right now I'm seeing a lot of cohesive work together. And now we're talking about, you know, hiring like the infrastructure of all the people, you know, our, our CFO, our IT people not necessarily HR, but like our CFO, we need an acquisitions manager ASAP. So that's starting to happen. And so it's a good sign, but it's never ending work. It will never end. Well, Kaylee, we can't (laughs) thank you enough for that wealth of information that you have shared with us and our listeners. You've got a lot to share and we've got a lot of people to listen. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that information and definitely allowing it to serve as educational information for our target audience, which is our passive investors. And as we all know, there is definitely power in education. Where can our listeners get in touch with you? Y'all can just literally check out our website, theapartmentqueen.com. There's a bunch of pop-ups that you'll get. Hey, here's the podcast. Hey, here's our investor quiz. You get qualified. Hey, you know, and click on them or don't, whatever. But there's pages for investor resources and you can find our book, our app, our 1031 exchange program for women. 
are trying to remember all the things. Oh, uh, my partner made an underwriting software. So we also uh, have that available as well with like a mini course of videos attached and a couple of other things. So theapartmentcoming.com is where to go. Excellent. Of course, thank you. I've checked it out, of course. Yes, of course. And we'll post uh, Kaylee's information on our website. And I want to thank you again, Kaylee McMahon, and the apartment queen for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yes, yes. And if you all have enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and give us a five star rating on your listening platform. If you like what you hear, you want to learn more and it's really helpful, go ahead and hit subscribe so you're notified every time we release a new episode. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. And thanks, Emil, for listening. We'll see you next time. For more information about today's episode, learn more about passive multifamily real estate investing, or to reach Linda or Lisa directly, visit us on the web at multifamilyinvestorladies.com. Thanks a mill for joining the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast, sponsored by Berkwood Capital and Freedom Capital Investments. Your hosts, Lisa Hill and Linda Brooks, remind you it's never too late to get started on your multifamily real estate investing journey. And they'll show how to do it successfully as a passive investor. We'll see you next time.